Well, we're going to continue uh, with our Behold the Man series this morning as we talk about the final week of Christ's life. We're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning. Uh, in preparation for this sermon, I asked a few of my friends on Facebook to tell me if you could eliminate one chore, just one chore from your daily life, what would it be and why? Uh, and uh, the overwhelming winner, especially among moms with kids at home, uh, was laundry. Uh, yes, I hear some amens. Okay. Uh, many of them, they said laundry because, because it, it never, ever ends. As soon as you finish uh, what seems to be the last load, there's another load coming, right? So uh, laundry was the winner. You're, you're not alone in that, by the way. Uh, as I looked around just kind of on the internet uh, this week, there are a lot of memes and funny pictures related to uh, the, the difficulty that laundry poses. I thought I'd share just a, a couple of those this morning. Uh, this is a laundry tag from a shirt. has all the laundry uh, specifications, and then it says, hey, or give it to your mother. She knows how to do it, right? And uh, many of you, I know, you feel that way. That's what everybody does. They just hand off the laundry to you. Uh, this one was a favorite of mine. Based on the amount of laundry I do each week, I'm going to assume there are people who live here that I have not met yet, right? <laughs> you may feel that way. So laundry was number one. You said, if I could get rid of laundry, uh, my life would be a lot happier. Uh, number two, uh, close second, was dishes. Uh, this would be one of mine, right? Because the dishes, it just seems like at our house, especially with five people, we, we rinse them, we load them, we unload them, and we immediately have to rinse them, load them, unload them again. There's just a never-ending cycle of dishes. So uh, this particular uh, meme spoke to me. It says, do the dishes, one, often enough that no one says you never do them. Two, infrequently enough that no one expects you to do them all the time. And three, poorly enough that no one wants you to do it every time. But that's a great, that's a great strategy, right? Uh, so all of us would say, man, if there's one, one chore, you probably have it in your mind, right? There is something that you'd say, I would eliminate that chore uh, from my life if I could. You may have a list of them. Right? You may have a lot of them. You say, uh, it's this and this and this and this. I would love to eliminate these chores from my life. Most of us, in fact, when we think about uh, the good life, right? what would it mean to, to live the good life and, and to be sort of an important person, right? a, a person uh, of significance in the world? Uh, we might think uh, you know, an important, significant life would be a life in which I don't have to do the laundry or the dishes, or maybe it's mowing the lawn or yard work or, or fixing things in your house, right? right, right. You would say, uh, part of the dream for me is that I could get to a place where I can afford to pay other people to do all of those things, right? So that I can, I can live the life that I really want to live. When you, when you think about our culture, in fact, uh, when we think about important people, we typically don't think about those people who are doing those kinds of chores that we would rather not do, those kinds of service activities we would rather not do, right? So uh, I was reading uh, some time ago about the, the rapper MC Hammer. Some of you will remember MC Hammer, right, from the 90s if you're of a certain age. Uh, he was really big for a period of time, and at one time it, it was big news that he had an entourage of 40 people that he paid half a million dollars a month to do everything for him because he was what? He was important. He was significant. Now, he went bankrupt, but for a while, he was living the good life, right? So, so for many of us, that would be our dream. 
When we think about really important people, we think, yeah, they don't have to do that stuff, right? Nobody sees the president, no matter what president, nobody sees the president mowing his own lawn, cleaning his own toilets. You don't think of the, the CEO of the company serving in a way that we would consider menial, right? Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that it's always wrong to pay somebody to do something at your house, right? Sometimes uh, that is a good idea. Sometimes it is wisdom. In my case, there are things I'm better off paying people to do because I'll destroy them, right? Like the plumbing. So I'm not suggesting that you always must do everything. What I am going to say, though, this morning is if we're not careful, we can begin to get into a mindset. And I think this is human nature. It's not just our culture right now. We can begin to get into a mindset where we say, look, the really important stuff and is not stuff that involves serving where nobody sees me, right? So, so when I am doing things at my house, right, taking care of my kids, maybe it is changing diapers, maybe it is fixing something at home, or maybe it is at the office when I'm serving in a way that nobody sees. Those are not the important things. The important things, that's the big stuff, right? The big decisions, the things everybody sees, the things everybody notices, right? So if we're not careful, we can get into a mindset where we think service is insignificant and powerful, important people don't serve. And yet what we see in our passage this morning and really throughout the New Testament, is Jesus turns that idea totally upside down. Right? Because in Jesus' day, just as in our day, people would say, look, if you are important, you don't serve. You tell other people to serve. If you're significant, you don't get down on your hands and knees and scrub somebody's feet. You have people for that. And those people are less significant. Right? But what Jesus will communicate, both with his words and with his life, is this. There's a, there's a principle we see that weaves its way throughout the New Testament, and, and, it, and it is this. You are probably never reflecting Christ more than when you're serving humbly. Humble service is one of the most powerful ways that we reflect the character of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that this morning. Jesus would say this in the, in the book of Mark. He's going to say this. Jesus said to them, that is to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority among them. Right? Great people tell other people what to do. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What Jesus is going to say is that the ultimate demonstration of a servant's heart was when he died on the cross, that he gave his life, right? Philippians 2 would say it this way, that he humbled himself Taking on the form of what? A, a doulos, a bondservant, a slave. I think when Paul wrote Philippians 2, he had in mind the passage we're going to look at this morning from John 13, that Jesus took on the form of a slave. He gets down on his hands and knees and he washes feet. And then, and then Paul would go on in Philippians 2 and talk about the cross. He goes, he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. So what Jesus would say is, if you want to reflect who I am, then serve. 
with an attitude of humility and with an attitude of joy. That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at John chapter 13. So let me begin by reading the passage. And I want to point out a few things from John 13 this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. So follow along with me if you have your Bible. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Okay, so, so I want you to imagine the scene for a minute. This is the, the Lord's Supper. Remember, this is right before the Passover feast. Okay, so, so Jesus and the disciples, they would have been around a low table, and back then they're probably reclining as they eat, right? So, so one person's head would have been along the chest of the person next to him, right? So they finish the meal. Jesus gets up, and it says he removes his outer garment, right? He would have had a sort of a, a linen garment underneath, grabs a towel, wraps it around himself, and he begins to make his way around the table where, where the disciples' feet would have kind of been on the outside of the table, and he gets a basin, and he kneels down and he begins to scrub their feet. Now, in order to understand this a bit, now my guess is that you washed your feet maybe last night, maybe this morning at least, I I hope at some point in the last week or so, right? Now here's the deal. There's a difference though between your feet now and the way their feet would have been in the first century, okay? And here's why. Because first of all, you're wearing closed shoes. Uh, You drive most places. Even when you are walking, your feet are not exposed to the elements around. Our sidewalks, our streets are relatively clean. That was not the case in the first century in Palestine, okay? Here's what would have been going on is they were wearing sandals, not closed shoes. They were walking around on dirt pathways mostly. A street is, is probably too grand a word, right? So they're, they're walking around. Uh, there's no garbage service, right? There's no street cleaner. So there is animal waste. There is human waste. There is trash. There is dirt. There's all kinds of junk all over 
where they walked. Right? So, so when you entered into a home, you needed your feet to be clean so that you didn't bring a bunch of that dirt and gunk in with you. Normally what would happen is a homeowner or the master of the house would have a servant who did that job. And in fact, Jewish homeowners would have a Gentile servant do that job, right? A non-Jew. The reason is because it was such a filthy job, you didn't even want to give it to a Jewish slave to do it. You would, you would farm it out to a Gentile, right? That's how dirty this job is. The, the best that I could think, the, the closest I could think, is I remember when our kids were little, like when they were toddlers, and they would sit in like a high chair or a booster seat, right? And, and every so often, maybe every couple of weeks, maybe uh, for some of you it's more like every couple of months, you've got to go in and you have to clean underneath that seat. Okay, those of you who have toddlers, you know, at least for me, it was one of the most gag-inducing jobs I ever did was to look under there. And there was old food and all kinds of remnants of things. I often thought, man, if we wanted to lower the teenage pregnancy rate, I think we should make every teenager clean under a baby's high chair. (laughs) This is what parenting is, you'd say, right? It's a gross job. So you imagine somebody volunteers. Somebody comes to your house and they volunteer. They say, hey, I'm going to do that job. I'm going to clean up your high chair. I'm going to clean up all the dirt, all the gunk. I'm going to change your child's filthy diaper. That's how gross this job is. right? You can see why the disciples are discomforted by Jesus doing this. It's an act of deep and humble service. And in fact, they see it as degrading. Right? But Jesus is making a point that in the kingdom of God, those who aim to climb to the top have to serve. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, there's only one who, who sits at the top of the heap, right? There's only one who's ultimately great, and that is God. And the rest of us exist to reflect and proclaim the glory and the greatness of God. Right? And Jesus is going to say, I, I want to show you with my life and my death and my resurrection what it looks like to be a servant. Right? So, so Jesus would humble himself even to the point of death. And then Philippians say, God exalts him to the highest place. Right? That's the story of Jesus' life. So Jesus is going to say, you want to be great, learn how to serve. Right? And so for you and me, I think the temptation is to say, yeah, yeah, I, I'm okay serving. As long as I don't lose any status or dignity in the process. right? I'm okay serving on my terms. At least this is me a lot of times. But I don't want to lose any dignity. I don't want to lose any status. I don't want to be threatened. Jesus says, you want to be great. Serve in humility with joy. So what I want to look at for the next few minutes then we're going to see three characteristics of Jesus Christ that are reflected when we serve like Jesus. And we're going to take them from the passage here. When we serve, first of all, we reflect and we demonstrate Christ's love. We demonstrate Christ's love. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Or some, some translations may say he loved them to the very limit. He loved them 
to the uttermost. I think that John does this sometimes. It's a deliberate play on words here. Yes, he loved them to the end. In other words, he loved them all the way until he died, but, but he also loved them to the uttermost. In other words, he says Jesus loved his disciples as much as anybody could love anybody. He loved them to the outermost limits of love. And that sets the stage for what Jesus is about to do. See, when he washes feet, it's interesting. Uh, you know who's sitting at the table? John points it out a couple of times. Judas Iscariot is still sitting at the table. Right, so, so process that for a minute. Jesus loves his disciples so much that he serves them in humility, not just the ones who love him back, but the one who is literally about to have him killed. Jesus loves him, and he serves him. And so Jesus is making this point. If you want to demonstrate the love of Jesus, sure, you can say Jesus loves you. You can say it, and you should say it. But one of the most powerful ways to demonstrate it is to serve. And, and this is challenging. I think for, for us, this is maybe most challenging with those that we say we love the most. Right? Our spouses, our kids. I mean, where do you complain about, about serving the most? It's probably at home, right? Because serving at home is probably where your, your, your status is most likely to be threatened, isn't it? I read an article some time ago that said, if you want to start an immediate argument between a couple with small children, ask who does more of the housework. Right? People will pull out their, their charts and their lists and their journals of what they've done. I ran across, this is a, a true, they, they did a study a few years ago about, um, about what do uh, families or, or couples who have kindergartners, what do they argue about the most, right? What do they argue about the most? And, and I thought, man, when I first saw it, I was like, it's got to be something like money, right? Money, maybe, maybe it's sex, maybe it's time, like how we spend our time. It was actually, it was actually uh, chores, right? So uh, couples with kindergartners, they argue the most about chores and household responsibilities. Almost 50% said that they'd had a significant argument within the last month about chores, right? So, so you think about that. Where, where is the biggest conflict happening? Right? Somebody says, hey, can you do the dishes? And you say, man, you know what? I did the dishes yesterday. And you say, yeah, but I did the laundry today. Yeah, but I did, I folded some shirts last week, right? And, and what happens is we begin this competition. Look, I already, I'm doing enough. Don't make me do more. I got to maintain some sense of autonomy and status and dignity in this household, right? And yet we say, oh, I love these people more than anybody else in the world. And yet we resist serving. Jesus says, I, I loved the disciples so much that even the one sitting at the table who, who's about to have me killed, I'll serve. And so he kneels down with that basin and he begins to wash feet. We demonstrate the love of Jesus when we serve. Think about this, yes, in your home. Think about this also in your neighborhood and in your workplace. I was remembering this week, I've told y'all um, in the last couple of months, you know, at the end of last year, our, our home was flooded, and, and so we had to move out for a while. We had to get 
uh, things repaired. And, and one of the side effects that happened uh, early on was that our refrigerator was uh, unplugged, kind of uh, not working for a period of several days. So uh, we had a refrigerator filled with food that, that very quickly went bad, right? So perishable items that went bad. And so uh, you would uh, begin to uh, smell the aroma of the perishable items throughout the house that had gone bad. And so, you know, for a couple of days, we're like, somebody needs to clean that. Somebody needs to do that, right? So uh, we had some friends, we had some friends come over to help us kind of clean up. And so we're, we're kind of busy cleaning up. And, and uh, one of uh, my neighbors was over there and he said, hey man, what, what is it that you need for me to to do. How can I help? Right? So, you know, it's not wrong to be served as well as to serve sometimes. So, no, so, so here's the thing. Like, like I really, honestly, I told him, look, I can, I can help you with it. I can do it. Uh, but really what we've got to do, man, what, what, what we really need to do is we got to clean out that, that refrigerator and, and scrub it out and see if we can salvage it, see if we can get the odor out, the whole deal. He says, man, I, I got it. You go, you go work on something else that you need to do. I, I got it, right? He grabs a bag and uh, gets together with a, another person who was over there. And within about an hour, they had the whole thing cleaner than it's ever, ever been with a smile. Right now, now he could say, hey, I, I, I value you as, as a friend, but I, I will say nothing communicated the love of Jesus on that day quite as powerfully. Right? And so, so what Jesus says is, is in the midst of this moment with his disciples, he says, I want you to understand what love looks like. Yes, say Jesus loves you but you want to demonstrate the love of Christ. You serve. When we serve, we demonstrate Christ's love. Secondly, when we serve, we we show Christ's strength. Let me show you something else from this passage. He says, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Now look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God, and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. This is powerful. What, what is John pointing out? That Jesus isn't a weakling. Right? Jesus isn't serving out of, out of weakness or out of insecurity. Jesus isn't serving because anybody's making him serve. He says, hey, God had given everything into Jesus' hands. Think about Everything. Right? The entire universe is under Jesus' authority. And, and, and Jesus, it says he knows he came from God. He knows he's going back to God. And knowing all of that, he gets up from the table and he serves. Why does John point this out? What is John saying? Jesus was so unconcerned about losing his status, that he could serve with humility. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. And so he served out of a position, not of weakness, but of strength. See, and I I think this is very counterintuitive to us because we tend to think of servants as those who are are weak, right? Those who are, are lesser. If you can't find anything else to do, you serve. Jesus says, no, I I can proactively serve because he's strong. 
Right? If, we, if we understand who God is, and we understand who God says we are, then service isn't threatening. Right? If I say, look, no matter, no matter what you may think of me, I know what God thinks of me. No matter what status I may have in this room, I know that in the eyes of, of God, because of Jesus Christ, I'm his, I'm his child, right? I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. Then why should service threaten me? Right? Why should it be a threat? Why do I feel so threatened if I'm the first one to say, you know what, I'll, I'll sweep the floor. I'll wash the dishes. I'll change the sheets. Right? Why is that threatening? Because we forget that status doesn't come from the, the approval of others, not in the kingdom of God, but it comes from God himself. You and I are heirs of the kingdom of God. There are many of you in this room that on a week-to-week basis, you, you volunteer here, right? So you, you set up chairs, you tear down chairs, the curtains, maybe you help with the welcome team. There's a group helping with the kids right now. Uh, a lot of volunteers. It takes over 100 volunteers to make this happen. Now, what's interesting is some of you, you're important people throughout the rest of the week, right? You, you, you own businesses or you're, you're the boss or, or whatever it may be. And I'm going to say this, not once in the four years that we've been at Creekside have I seen somebody serving and thought, man, what, what a wimp, right? What a weakling. No, that's not what it communicates. It says, I love the people of God so much, and I trust God enough that I can say it doesn't threaten my status to serve. Right? Now, that may or may not be easier to do here than it is in our house or at work or in our neighborhood. Right? But Jesus, Jesus is not at all threatened. I remember, I remember many years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were working one summer at a, at a camp in uh, New York, and, and there was a man who was there for the summer. He owned a home up in upstate New York. It was uh, not his primary residence. It was a summer home that he owned up there. Important guy in the rest of the, the, the universe, right? So uh, he had a, a lot of money, a lot of status. He had been a uh, president of a major sports organization, and then uh, he was really, really involved as the, actually the CEO of this camp, right? So important guy. And, and, and one day he invited a bunch of the staff over to his home, right? Over to his house on the lake. But, but here's what I remember about this guy, right? So uh, the most successful, wealthiest person person in the room. And here's what I remember. He, he never actually sat down while we were there because he, he walked around and said, can I get you more to drink? Can I refill your plate? What do you need? Before you could even finish eating, he was, can I help? Now, it, it would have been very easy for him to say, hey, this is, this is my house. Food's in the kitchen. Help yourself. None of us would have actually faulted him for that. But in doing what he did, he demonstrated something to us that in Jesus Christ, even the important men and women in the eyes of the world don't have to be threatened by service. In fact, I remember walking away thinking, not not what a weakling, wow, what a great man who trusts in God. And so when we serve willingly and humbly, we demonstrate Christ's strength. And then thirdly, when we serve, we reflect Christ's 
sacrifice. So bear with me for just a minute. There's an unusual conversation that happens in this passage that I want to briefly try to explain. Okay, so when Jesus gets to Peter, uh, he, he starts to wash his feet. And, you know, Peter's like, hey, 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 why are you washing my feet? And Jesus says, well, you don't get it right now. You're going to get this, you know, later on. And Peter goes, don't, nope, never, 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 right? And Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me, right? In other words, that, that word for having a part with Jesus, it, it's kind of a word that's used throughout the New Testament to mean inheritance or something along those lines, right? You're not, you're not really, you don't have a part in my kingdom, if I don't wash your feet. And then Peter goes, okay, then go ahead and wash all of me. My head, my hands, the whole deal. And Jesus goes, okay, calm down there, spunky, right? <laughs> if you've already been washed, just need to clean your feet, right? What, what is Jesus saying? Well, here's, here's what Jesus is getting at. The washing of the feet is, is a visual metaphor, okay? In just a day, really less than a day, Jesus would go to the cross, right? Jesus is going to die, and he's going to rise again. And by his death, he offers a once-for-all sacrifice for our sin. And then he rises again. And here's what Jesus is, is getting at. If you believe in me, if you believe that I can forgive all of your sin and make you clean, once you've believed that, he says, hey, you're clean, right? You trust me, you're clean. He goes, not everybody in the room. He's going to say, look, not everybody here is, is clean. And he's talking about Judas. In other words, Judas doesn't believe in Jesus, right? Judas would betray him. He doesn't trust in Jesus as the Messiah. But he says, if you've been washed, all you need is your feet to be clean. And here's what Jesus is getting at. There's a once-for-all cleansing that happens when you and I trust in Jesus Christ, okay? So you believe that Jesus died for your sin and you rose again, and he rose again, right? When you believe that, you can know that your sins are washed clean. You have eternal life. You will go to heaven. You will not go to hell. Right, that's what these uh, men and women proclaimed this morning. Right, this is why we have this metaphor of of baptism. They're saying God has has cleansed me, has cleansed my spirit through His death and resurrection. I believed in that. Now I want to visibly demonstrate that. Right, so we go under the water as a symbol of the cleansing that God has already worked in our hearts. But here's what Jesus says: For those who know me, there's an ongoing type of cleansing that has to happen. That is, your, your salvation is secure. You can know you have eternal life. But as you walk throughout the world because of your sin and because of the darkness of the world, your, your feet are going to get dirty, right? You're, you're going to sin against God. And, and you need that cleansing. 1 John 1, 9 talks about this. If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, 1 John is in the context not of receiving eternal life, but of walking with God. Right, you think about it this way. Once you're a child of God, that never changes. But, but you and I do things all the time that can put a rift in that relationship, just like you do with your parents or our kids do with us. And so you need that foot washing. Right? And so Jesus says, look, you're clean, but I'm going to wash your feet. Right? And here's, here's what he's getting at. This whole thing of washing the feet it's just a small taste of the much greater washing that Jesus is about to do. Right? And here's what he's saying is that every act of service is just a small taste of the ultimate act of service that Jesus would perform at the cross. 
And so he says, Peter, you need to understand this. If you want to understand my kingdom, you want, to, you want to have authority in my kingdom, you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to understand what it means to serve, but also you need to understand that you have to receive service from Jesus. Right? John chapter 15, passage you're probably familiar with. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus would lay down his life in the ultimate act of love and service. And he tells his disciples, now I want you to serve one another because when you serve one another, you're, you're just giving those around you a small sample of the service that is greater than any other service, the death of Jesus. Some of you, you, you may go to the store this afternoon. As you walk through the store, they may give out free samples, right, of various foods and items. Some of you, maybe you time your visits to the store based upon when they will have the maximum amount of free samples, right? Free lunch, okay? I ran across this, this chart. talks about how much do free samples increase sales for various different products. And I love this. So beer increases sales, I don't know, something like 60%, right? So uh, wine, 300%, right? So three times as many people will buy the wine. Look at frozen pizza, 600%, right? So you walk into the store and you're not even thinking about frozen pizza. And then you walk by and they give you that tiny little sample. And you, here's what happens is you go, what would my life be like if I bought the whole pie, right? It would be better. I need it, right? So 600% increase in sales from that little sample. Okay, what is Jesus getting at in this passage? He says, look, I, I'm washing your feet. These small acts of service, you know what they are? They, are? they are a taste of the kind of character and life that will exist in the kingdom of God for those who know Jesus. It's just a little sample. What could your life be like if you knew Jesus, the ultimate servant? All right, so that, so that when we serve, we reflect, in fact, Christ's sacrifice. Now, we're still called to proclaim the gospel, to speak it out. But, but our service and our words work together. All right, so when we serve, we demonstrate Christ's love. We show Christ's strength. We reflect Christ's sacrifice. So let me close just with a couple of thoughts then. How do, how do we get this to play out in our lives this week? I want to offer just two very, very practical ideas. You can take these or leave them, but let me offer this. Find one new way to serve humbly and joyfully this week. All right, one new way. Maybe, the, maybe there's some task at your house or, or in your neighborhood or at, at the office that you go, man, nobody really wants to pick that one up. And you say, I'm going to pick it up. Okay, you say, God, show me one new way with, with somebody in some way to serve humbly and joyfully. And then secondly, pray for an attitude towards service that reflects Jesus, right? So here's, here's the rule if you, if you choose to do this, right? Don't, don't go home and do it and then, and then say to your spouse, did you notice anything? Right? <laughs> did you notice? You were gone for four hours, you came back. Did you notice? The house is clean. The dishes are done. Who, who did that, I wonder, right? Don't, <laughs> don't do that. Here's what you do is you say, I'm going to pray 
that I'll reflect Jesus, who serves even, even at the risk of costing him status in the eyes of others, right? who serves even in, in obscurity when it's not noticed because he loves us, because he knows who he is before God, and because he knows that, that, that every act of service is really just a small taste of the greatest news in the world, that, that Jesus, our Savior, died for us and rose again to wash us clean. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for the morning. But most of all, we're grateful for Jesus. Lord, I confess I am probably like many in this room. I, I, I don't want to serve if it's going to cost me. I justify myself. Father, I pray that we would trust you and trust in your love. Father, I pray we would reflect the love of Jesus and the strength and the security Jesus showed. And and I pray that we would reflect the, the unbelievably good news that Jesus came to serve, even to the point of, of giving his life as a ransom for ours. Father, I pray as we serve one another and as we serve in our communities that we would shine a light that comes from Jesus and points back to Jesus. We're grateful for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.